Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean Tobias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Nicole Sapphire. She is a radiologist at Sloan Kettering, an author of a great book that you're going to hear about called Make America Healthy Again. She's a Fox News guest anchor and likes to cook, or at least has to, a new skill I picked up in 2020. Nicole, it's good to see you. You're looking good there. Thank you. Excited to be on with you. Yeah, normally I would jump right into your book because I haven't read enough of it yet. Uh, but given that we're at the end of 2020 in December, there's a lot going on, I thought I'd make the show a little more current um, and push it out to our audience earlier. This is also the first week I've actually filmed an episode of the Reboot Chronicles. I've been off for, uh, I can't remember how many weeks, but I basically have had the um, coronavirus for the last six weeks or so. And... Um, so it's good, to, it's good to be back, but I, I, I've got a lot of personal questions, and I know a lot of the viewers do as well. So with that, all the things on the horizon, you know, FDA's meeting today and the vaccines and what's going on, I thought we'd jump right into, you know, what people should know about and what's next with managing, you know, our pandemic lives in 2021. Uh, but uh, most people want to know what to do this week. Um, I think, just personally, Operation Warp Speed here in the U.S. anyway, the world global audience was, um, I think it's really helped accelerate the vaccine development, even though there's already a lot, there was a lot going on. But, you know, now you've got, uh, I'll let you get into what's going on with Pfizer, Moderna, uh, AstraZeneca. But what I don't think a lot of the viewers understand is, you know, the world population is inching up to 8 billion maybe in the next couple of few years. And um, that's a lot of people. And scaling this is totally different. So there are literally... Um, probably 50 to 60 companies out there. I think the latest count is 58 that have been working on vaccines around the globe. Anywhere from phase one companies, there's about 40 still in phase one, maybe about phase three, which is uh, efficacy testing. There's about 14, and there's one so far that's been approved. But just uh, I was amazed just the broad spectrum that companies um, that are out there working on this. So anyway, I thought... Um, you know, let's focus in on uh, the vaccine, maybe, if you'd like. Who should take it? Why should they take it? And, and, and when? And uh, like Pfizer's two-shot system, they were just granted emergency uh, use so that EUA we call here in the States. I guess Moderna's on uh, track with the FDA. We'll see. But uh, So I'll just start out with my own question. It's like, you know, um, which one should I take? Assuming I had a choice when I would go to Walgreens or CVS. I don't think anyone ever looks at the label or anything, but uh, <laughs> what's, your, what's your advice? Well, so you fired off a lot there. I mean, it's a lot of information. Operation Warp Speed has put billions of dollars in not just to the research and development of many vaccines, but also the parallel manufacturing of them, hedging bets that our scientists would come up with a successful vaccine. That is why we've been able to have possibly two vaccines get the emergency use authorization by the end of 2020 in 10 months. That's Amazing. unheard of, never been done before, and that is because the funding was put in so that these drug companies were actually making the vaccine in mass production while the clinical trial was still going on. So therefore, if and when it got approval, they'd be ready to ship it out. Today, as you mentioned, VRBAC, which is the Vaccine Advisory Committee, is meeting to vote on the EUA. We anticipate that's going to happen because the FDA's review of the science and efficacy data says that it looks good and it's ready for an EUA. Um, and Operation Warp Speed has said within 24 hours, they're going to be ready to ship out millions of doses. So, you know, 
by mid-December, we're going to have Pfizer vaccines likely being distributed and a week to two weeks later, Moderna as well. Now, when it comes to which vaccine should you get, Pfizer and Moderna are very similar. They're both messenger RNA technologies, which is not necessarily a new technology, but it's new in the sense that we've never had a human vaccine made from mRNA. Um, it's great in one way in that it's just a piece of genetic code. So we're not having to inject people with an attenuating virus or something else that people had some oh, contributions to. Oh, so it's to. different from the flu, which is kind yes, of an attenuating yes. virus. And so, it, interesting. And so your body actually takes up this little piece of genetic code, reads it, and starts making that spike protein, those crowns, which is why it's called a coronavirus, corona meaning crown-like. So those spike proteins on the surface is what our, the body recognizes. So we take that piece of viral um, mRNA, we make the protein, we have an immune response to it, and then we get immunity from, to it. Now, when you go to your Walgreens, your CVS, wherever that you may be Walmart, get wherever wherever, you you likely will not have a choice. It's just which no. vaccine that they will have. They're not going to say, do you want A, do you want B? It's just which they're going to have. The Pfizer vaccine requires um, storage at negative 97 degrees Fahrenheit. That's Is really that the, hard. Uh, that, that's cold, by the way. Is that the two-shot? So Pfizer and Moderna are both two-shots. They both require a first injection, and then two to three weeks later, you need the second injection. Data coming out from Pfizer shows that you actually do have some immunity after that first injection, but that immunity skyrockets after that second one to about 95% effective. I mean, that's incredible. The flu vaccine ranges 40 to 60% um, efficacy, so by having a 95% efficacy, that's incredible. Exactly. Most people don't know that two-shot is... They've never heard this before, but, you know, it's like if you're over 40 or 50 and you've gotten a shingle shot, you know, there's many things that have dual doses. So don't forget to go back and get the second one. I'm sure they'll be hounding you to, to, to take it. does bring up a lot of questions, uh, if you don't mind me asking. It's like, okay, what if someone has COVID uh, currently? I assume they shouldn't take it. Or what if someone like me just lived through it? Um, do, do those two categories, should they be looking at it when available? Yeah, so that's a really good question, and on a lot of people's mind, as over 15 million Americans have had COVID-19, they're wondering, do they also get the vaccination? And, you know, so the, the thing is, right now, there's limited supply of vaccine. So when there's limited supply of vaccine, determining who's already had COVID-19 is really crucial, because studies are showing that antibodies for people who have been exposed to the virus they likely are present for about four to five months at least. There may be some more long-term immunity to it. If we look back at the SARS and MERS data, immunity lasted for about one and a half to two years for those viruses. So we'd like to think that the same immunity would happen for COVID-19. We just don't know yet because COVID-19 has wow. only been here for about 10 to 11 months. Um, however, so when there's limited supply of vaccine, you know, we, I'd like to say the people who do not have antibodies to the virus should probably not be first in line for it. We want to make sure that we are vaccinating the vulnerable, those who have no level of immunity to this virus, who are most at risk for being hospitalized or dying. Then I will say people who have been exposed, we will still recommend, especially the vulnerable population, that they still receive the vaccine. We actually don't know if COVID-19 is going to be similar to the flu where it's endemic and every year we're going to have to have a vaccine. We don't know. Anyone who says they know, they, they're lying. 
because we haven't had enough experience with this. We don't know how long immunity to this virus, whether from the vaccine or natural, lasts. But I can tell you, immunity from vaccines tend to be stronger, more robust, and longer lasting than natural immunity from exposure. Yeah, of course. I I have been the recipient of lots of um, whatever. Uh, I won't call it false information, but just varying. So, but I, I'd ask my doctor. He's like, "You're not contagious, Dean, anymore. You're not. Uh, you're you're not positive either." Um, I'm like, "Great. Can I travel? Because I I feel like I need to go somewhere warm and just like get this. Because there's this long COVID cycle where you're still like falling asleep, and hopefully I won't fall asleep in the middle of this podcast. But so I've heard everywhere from you're you're good for three weeks to six months, he said, you you can't get it anymore. And that's for some reason, I kind of walk out of there looking at him going, huh. And then I put my mask back on because I'm <laughs> like, I don't know if this is actually accurate information. A lot of parents want to know, let's just say when it's more widely available, should I give it to my kids? Assuming, you know, assuming they get it, should their children get it too? The, well, the, the vaccine, not the virus. Yeah, well, hopefully not the virus. I mean, <laughs> the good news with COVID-19, I'm a mother of three boys. Um, I was very, I've been very grateful to hear and see that COVID-19 does not affect children nearly the way it does adults and the elderly specifically. Um, regarding the vaccine, we do know that kids can also transmit the virus, so we want to do what we can to lessen them transmitting it to other people. Right. Regarding the vaccine, children have not been included in the clinical trials that are being put forth right now. Uh, Pfizer's, uh, the late stage data that came out was from age 16 and above. They are doing trials right now for ages 12 to 16, but we do not have that data yet. So for anyone under 16, of course, the recommendation would they do not get it because we don't have safety data. We don't have efficacy data. And if we don't have that information, then I cannot recommend that they should get it. So, But getting the flu shot for children is still extremely important because flu is much more deadly in children and children tend to get hospitalized a lot more with the flu which therefore is taking up a bed and that if we are still in the midst of COVID-19 like we are now we need to keep as many people out of the hospital as we can and getting flu shots is a way to do that. It's like my mom always told me I always get a flu shot I didn't listen to her till I think I was 30. Anyway um, some people think hey it's in December it's too late to get a flu shot that's not true. Oh my gosh, that is not true at all. Actually, flu... Like psychologically, we always think, well, I got to get it by October before school. Well, because, you know, everything is the beginning of the school year. Things happen at that time. But really, flu season does start in August. But the peak of flu season is January to March. We have the most flu cases and hospitalizations January to March. So getting your flu shot November, December, you it is still incredibly helpful and yeah. is much better than not getting it at all. So even if you were to get it in January, that still is very helpful. You know, people watching the news are going to get a lot of scary information. So early injections are getting side effects. I'm sure you've seen it all and you've been talking about it on TV. But, you know, so if I've got if I've had reactions to medicines, foods, and, and uh, vaccines, and, um, you know, allergies before, that could probably be an issue as well. I've heard a couple of NSH um, workers uh, ended up getting skin rashes and, you know, breathing problems and dropping blood pressure when they when they got the vaccine this week. Um, I mean, but all I've, I've all I've read is some of the symptoms people are getting as, I'm sorry, some of the side effects they're getting are very similar to the awful symptoms that I had when I had the virus. So I'm like, well, that makes sense. But, or, or does it? Because you're not really injecting a virus into someone. So anyway, thoughts on um, 
side effects, and uh, the ones in the UK are a little more serious. So. Uh, yeah, I was going to say those are two separate. Uh, those are two yeah. separate topics right now. When we're talking about the side effects, the common side effects that people are getting with the vaccine versus what we've seen in the UK, I'll talk about that separately. Yeah, the first one. The um, what the common side effects are the injection site reactions. Think of when you get the flu vaccine. Oh yeah, sure. The sore arm, the redness. Um, those are the most common by far. Followed by fatigue, this feeling of being tired. Followed by some people have gotten a fever, but the fever and side effects tend to resolve within 48 hours. Um, and again, there have not been any documented severe side effects in the late stage clinical trials. Now. The and UK, those, but those kind of symptoms you can get with almost any injection. Yep. Of course, and a, a, a lot of vaccines. And the reason you get those is because that is an immune response. That's your body recognizing something foreign and doing uh, what it can to attack it. And that is why you have symptoms when you have the virus itself. It's the immune response. It's that cytokine storm that people have been hearing so much about. That is why people are ending up in the hospital. It's not so much the virus attacking tissues. It is your body's response to the virus. Now, the UK, I got a little frustrated by this because, of course, there's a lot of media attention on the vaccine. And so exactly. watching it, we have a ton of vaccine skeptics out there right now. And this just fuels it. So there are two um, NHS employees who got the vaccine, they had anaphylactoid type reactions. That is that, that is life-threatening. That is such a severe allergic response that their airways can close, their blood pressure drops. Thankfully, they were in hospital settings. But here's the thing about those they two. The, they have, the they have and documented yeah. known severe allergic reactions. Both of those people actually walk around with EpiPens because they have known severe reactions. If you look at the Pfizer trials, the data, people with documented severe allergic reactions were excluded from the trial. So I don't understand why people with documented severe allergic reactions were given the vaccine. It's the same as saying we're not giving the vaccine to children. They were excluded from the tri trial. We don't have data on them yet. So I actually think it was irresponsible for them to be given the vaccine. Or political. Well, you'll never know. <laughs> we, won't, we won't get into that on this show. We try not to, but it's, it's, it's hard with some of these things. All right, so, so some people are still saying, hey, Dean, you're dancing around the topic. You know, should I when available, let's say, you know, let's get through the holidays. Now it's getting into March. Mother of two, you know, she wants to know, should I, should I get the vaccine? Is Nicole going to get it? Should I take it? So there's, a, it's a very complicated question with an even more complicated answer. And it's certainly not a one size fits all. I would encourage as many people as possible to get the vaccine, um, especially if you are over the age of 55, if you have comorbidities, obesity, being one of the largest comorbidities associated uh, with severe illness. And I hate to tell you, but if you read my book, we're leading the world in obesity. And that is killing us <laughs> when it comes to COVID-19. So just being uh, overweight yep. absolutely puts you at risk. So over 55, any comorbidity, including being overweight, should absolutely get the, the um, vaccine. Also, people who are in close contact with COVID-positive patients, frontline workers, it's that prolonged exposure to the virus that actually increases your severity of illness. So if you have a brief interaction with someone who's positive and then you contract the virus, you're much less likely to have severe disease than if you had that sustained contact with them, if you were with them for a more prolonged period of time. Now, a lot of people are asking, am I going to get it? And that's an even more complex answer. 
Um, anybody who knows me, reads my book, watches me on TV, knows that I have an autoimmune disease. So for it, I take uh, injections that actually suppress my immune system because right. my body attacks itself, which is what an autoimmune disease is, um, which is why I've been doing as much as I can from my house um, and have decreased my amount of time in the hospital. We, I have consulted with people at the FDA, the CDC, my own doctors, and it would seem the medications I'm on will make it so I don't actually elicit an immune response to the vaccine. So it would be almost like just giving me a dummy injection. Yep. And mm -hmm. I don't want to waste a dose when we're in limited supply. So although I'm going to be offered it, um, I think at this point I won't take it. However, my husband plans on taking it because he is around me and, you know, he doesn't have any contraindication to taking it. Who He's also a physician. Right, right. And uh, so in, in the interim, because everyone's kind of getting excited about it, and then, you know, I'm, I'm down here on location in Mexico right now, and I've, I've talked to their health uh, minister, and they've got similar plans. You know, the high-priority older people, help, you know, frontline workers, and eventually it'll trickle down. And um, so in the interim, what should people do? It's um, I, what I've given people advice on, those of you that are on YouTube, you won't see this, but on the podcast, I'm holding up my cloth washable mask. I don't think it's as effective as my medical grade masks. That so when I was on an airplane, which really took me a lot of courage to get on to come down here, because I was yeah as a as a one of the top flyers for United, I was a little nervous <laughs> flying again. I made sure I wore you know high grade masks and was very careful. But yeah, what are your thoughts about people? I know you're not a flying expert, but, but yeah, how do you recommend people kind of? get through the winter? Maybe that's the best question because I, I don't think there's going to be mass. I may not what? be a flying expert, but I am a mask expert as I, all I, know, my I know. mostly yeah. have cancer and they're immunocompromised. And so I wear them all the time. Um, when it comes to masks, bottom line, masks work. Now, are they 100% foolproof? Of course not. Just like we don't, we avoid smoking cigarettes and alcohol, we're trying to lessen our chance of disease. It's the same thing with masks. You don't go from 100 to zero. You're lessening your chance of getting COVID-19 or giving it to someone else. That single layer cloth mask is the least effective. There is, it still does, believe it or not, reduce virus particles, but it's the least effective. Now, if you have a triple layer cloth mask, you know, where it's kind of interwoven on itself, that really increases um, the efficacy of that mask. It's really helpful, and it's in line with about the surgical mask, you know, and then you kind of go up to the N95 mask, which, of course, are going to be your, your best mask, um, but when it comes to flying or having to be in close quarters with other people, you want to wear you know, as good of a mask as you can, whether it's a triple layer cloth or a surgical mask or an N95 with a surgical mask over it, as long as it's up against your face, you really want to make sure it's here, it's pushed up against the bridge of your nose and it goes over your chin because any any little hole in there, you know, it's it can lead to the virus coming in. I, I also really like face masks. I wear them at work um, for multiple reasons. One, you know, if you don't wear glasses, you know, the one way of getting the virus is through your eyes. It's much less likely than nose or mouth, but it's still right. a possibility. So, actually, actually, I think that's how I got it because I was very careful. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people think that that's possibly how they got it. So maybe next year we're going to find out there's much more ocular transmission than majority of other viruses. Who knows? We don't actually know yet, but we will at some point. 
Um, but so those face shields are a great idea too because it stop. I mean, it doesn't stop it entirely, but it really does lessen how much directly it touches your face. Yeah, well said. But obviously, washing your hands, not touching your face, are big, big deals. Yeah. Even to, even today, almost a year later, it's the same same basic uh, basic advice. And for you know people like you, probably me too, it's like constant. Uh, you know, you're obviously a doctor. I'm not, but the uh, I've always had like clean hands and I've always liked to, I mean, I have two boys. I taught them how to use a public restroom when they were like tiny and they literally could go in and not touch anything. It's all on the feet. I would tell them you just got to, <laughs> anyway, uh, more than you want to know. So um, good segue into the book because it's, I don't know if we're the worst, but we definitely have some issues about, uh, you know, being healthy and, and some of the things you've said, you know, Americans are, we're just, you know, nutritionally unhealthy, uh, we, that we eat too much, we drink too much, and we sit too much. I usually stand during this podcast, but being on location has its uh, down uh, downsides here. I'm lucky to have a camera working. But it begs, you know, the question is, why is our society so unhealthy? What's, what's wrong with us? We're so generally wealthy as compared to other countries. Why are we so unhealthy? Yeah. It was a really interesting time to have my first book come out. It came out at the end of April. We were in the thick of the crisis in the Northeast. Um, but the content of my book couldn't have been more relevant as what we were seeing was that people with comorbidity, including obesity, were really falling prey to COVID-19. And so my book, Make America Healthy Again, and then we mix in politics with nutrition, how bad behavior and big government caused a trillion-dollar crisis, really goes in talking about how, unfortunately, chronic illness is the biggest detriment to our society. One, it is we're leading... Um, you know, we are having more morbidity in our lives. We have lesser quality of lives. We're taking a lot more medications. Um, and it's also increasing the cost of our health care. When you had people clamoring and fighting back all this infighting as what should be our health policy, Medicare for all, private health care, whatever you want, it actually won't matter because our own behaviors are bankrupting our system. So whether you want socialized medicine or not, nothing is going to work unless we as a society are able to bring down the cost of our health care. And that's not by just cutting physician reimbursement or getting rid of administrative bloat. It's really about lessening the cost or lessening how much care is necessary, not just the cost of care. And I go into some of the physical health issues. I talk about the mental health epidemic that our country is facing in terms right. of our children. Um, and I go into some of the Huge. I think you said 40% of us uh, have some type of a... Um Anxiety disorder, I'll just call it that. Well, that number is outdated because COVID-19 yeah. has drastically increased the amount of anxiety and depression in adults and children all across our country. And it is devastating to see what children being out of school is going to be doing for their long-term development. Very sad, yeah. And, um, you know, they also, I think, had some stats in there about uh, 80% um, of cardiovascular disease and about 40% of cancer cases could be prevented. I don't know if that was from your book or someone else. Yeah, I was, well, that, I mean, sounds, you know, that sounds I incredible, the, the, the cancer ones. I'm sorry. Well, so, you know, I work at one of the largest cancer centers in the world. And, you know, the best, it, yeah. my, my entire job is early detection of cancer. I try and find cancer as early as possible. So when it's easier to treat. And it, for me, and it hurts my soul that it takes a cancer diagnosis for people to start wanting to live a healthier life. Imagine if they actually live that healthier life 
they may have not developed that cancer. And it blows people away to hear that close to a half of all cancers could have been potentially prevented with different lifestyle choices. And it's not just don't smoke, don't drink alcohol. There are so many other factors. Obesity, again, is a risk factor for so many cancers. And there are actually vaccines out there that drastically reduce the risk of certain cancers. And so it's about educating people and people really understanding that there are certain choices and actions that they can make to ensure that they have not just themselves the healthier life, but also their families. Yeah, good point. Um, I know for one, you know, put down the salt shaker, but what are what are some preventative tips for reducing your potential risk? I know cancer is a very broad category, but what are some basic things you tell people? It's like, well, the biggest, well, for breast cancer, uh, so my specialty is breast cancer, you know, yeah. being a woman and getting older are the biggest risk factors. There's nothing you can do there. But okay. the overall blanket of cancer is, yep. of course, you don't smoke, limit your alcohol. But the, a big one is also maintain a healthy weight. When you have excess adipose cells, those are the fat cells, they actually produce hormones. And a lot of cancers are hormonally sensitive. Breast cancers, prostate cancers, liver cancers, there's many of them. So, so they, start, by, they start in those cells that are, you're producing based on your body. Well, the, the fat cells not only cause a systemic inflammatory reaction, but they're actually yep. producing hormones, and that hormones can help drive cancers as well. Um, cervical cancer, that is a huge one where we have tens of thousands of women dying a year from it. Did you know that Australia has just about eradicated cervical cancer? They have close to zero cases, and that is because they had an aggressive vaccination campaign. A vaccination campaign because there is a vaccine that if we give to our adolescents, girls and boys, it can prevent the HPV infection that causes cancer. And cervical cancer is nearly 100% related to HPV infections. So if we give them the vaccine, then the risk of getting cervical cancer as well as anal cancer, throat cancer, oral cancer, all of these cancers that are linked to this one virus will drastically reduce. But unfortunately, we have a prominent anti-vax movement in the United States, which has really halted these efforts. We also have a hepatitis B vaccine, which reduces the risk of liver cancers. I mean, there's so much that can be done. It's just a matter of having that conversation with your primary care doctor, they can lay out for you five simple steps because they know you better than anybody else. And they can give you like five certain steps that you can do to reduce your risk of disease and premature death. Wow. That's, uh, that's amazing. I mean, our country does, I mean, this is a global audience, but the uh, our country does some things that are protective, but also... Um, kind of insulate us a bit much from some exploratory things like that. I mean, literally, if you lined up all the vaccines you could take, it's probably overwhelming for most people. Forget about the non-vaxxers, which is people that, you know, normally take, they're only told to take one or two a year, and that's it. You're done. Well, and most people don't need to take every vaccine. So hepatitis no. B, healthcare workers take it because we come in contact with uh, blood products, and we can prick ourselves all the time. But the general population, yeah. except if you're using IV drugs, most likely don't need it because you're not going to be exposed to hepatitis B because it's a bloodborne pathogen. But the Gardasil, which is the vaccine against HPV, it's relatively new in the last 10 years. And so some people are still weary of it, but just the benefits so far outweigh any risk, which 
there hasn't really been any risk associated with it. So just, it's so important. But one other big thing that really reduces the risk of not just cancer, but everything else that you could possibly get is the sedentary lifestyle. You can be thin and have a sedentary lifestyle. You have to get up and move. You have to get your body, your heart pumping, your blood flowing, and move your body because that lowers overall inflammation and also really reduces your risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer, as well as improves your mental health. Yeah, don't buy your spouse a lazy boy for their birthday. <laughs> um, so just shifting to you know what's going on in society, what we've seen at Revive, they, they have a health and beauty and wellness index. So digital has gone through the roof, e-commerce has gone through the roof during pandemic, but the awareness of and the searching and purchasing of health, beauty, and wellness products has just skyrocketed up like 400% on most of the categories they measure except for beauty, like cosmetics and things, you know, the vanity parts on hold, right? And it's, it's rippled into healthcare, of course. So just curious how you see consumer behavior going in terms of more focus on everything you just talked about, but more at a, at a consumer purchasing level, the interest in self-care. And what do you think this year's doing to shift that? Well, I think that it's multifactorial. One, I think fewer people were going to salons and actually going to gyms, so they're having to figure out, well, what? how can I maintain healthy behaviors at home? Um, and I think it is going to be very important for people moving forward. I think people are going to be a little bit wary of going back to these big public spaces. And I think by having some, you know, everyone can't have a, a home gym, nor should they, but there's going to be things that people can do in the comfort of their own home and the safety of their own home to maintain physical health. I think people have an overall awareness of certain nutrients that they could be having. I mean, you've been hearing a lot about vitamin D and zinc. And I mean, again, these are all been headlines recently. So people are really wanting to know what can they do to be physically healthier to stave off the effects of COVID-19. Um, and moving forward, I mean, for the vanity side that you're talking about, yeah. I haven't dried my hair in January will be a year. And all of a sudden, nobody noticed so far. So I don't know why I've been spending so much money on my hair. But, um, it looks you know, good to me, yeah. It'll be funny to see how things change because I know a lot of people still aren't doing that, but I, I do yeah. think people are going to get back out there again. I think, um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I think there are a lot of people who are still hesitant to do it, and some people like myself who all of a sudden realize maybe I didn't need to do that, and they'll focus on other things. Instead of the vanity side of things, they're going to focus on how can they really get themselves healthier on the inside as opposed to the outside. Yeah, we're seeing a big spike in supplements and vitamins and, you know, things that you put in your body as well are just as important as, as things you put on your face for like skincare, for instance. Mm -hmm. And when the doctor, when they diagnosed me and said, you you know, you've got coronavirus, go home. I'm like, well, what should I do? What should I take? He's like, there's nothing. It's coronavirus. I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask this other guy now. <laughs> so the other guy says, oh yeah, just take vitamin D, vitamin D. Vitamin D. Da, 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 da. I said, I already take all that normally in the winter because I live in Chicago. He's like, take more of it up to 10,000 milligrams a day. I'm like, I think so for me, I think it was just too late. It's like, I should have been probably dosing higher earlier on, but, but I am seeing more and more consumers kind of, you know, more self-care, definitely care of their families too. But anyway, um, so fascinating book. I think um, many of our readers will pick it up. We'll actually uh, put some links and stuff in the, uh, in the official podcast once we get it up. Um, we're probably going to air yours rather quickly because some good, good timely information here. So Nicole, I really want to thank you for being on the uh, Reboot Chronicles. How do, uh, how do people get in touch with you? How do they follow you? Um, what's your home address? Just kidding. Um, 
Well, I'm quite accessible online, and you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. I have a website, NicoleSapphireMD.com. Sapphire spelled S-A-P-H-I-E-R. Doesn't not necessarily. It sounds like the stone, but not spelled like the stone. Right. But you can find me. I'm around, or just turn into Fox News. You'll see me. That's great, and we look forward to having you back on the program sometime. Maybe uh, Q1, get a little update on what consumers uh, you know should be doing and looking at. Nicole, thanks for joining, and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me.